Good morning. You're listening to My Rapids Real Estate Show on AM 1320 WFHR, your weekly radio show focusing on real estate, the market, and everything related to housing in central Wisconsin. So when we have those homes pre-inspected, you know, do you allow buyers to call and ask questions about a home inspection? Oh, for sure, yeah. We'll, we'll offer a, like a one-hour review at the property where we can kind of walk through it with them, go through the report. A lot of times, you know, they'll, they'll hit me with a list of questions, you know, over the phone or something like that. Um, but, yeah. And it, it's a little... Um, so we have to be careful as far as the information that we share and, and who our customer actually is. That's where it gets a little nope. bit tricky mm-hmm. because if the seller hires us, then the seller is our client and right. we, you know, we have to be confidential to our client. Um, and so then there's the whole thing where you, you make assumptions and say, well, of course the seller's fine with us sharing it with the potential buyer and 9.9 times out of 10, that's the case. Um, I've never can't come across a situation where it wasn't the case. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you run across a situation where home inspection is done, mm-hmm. repairs have been made and they ask you to come back out to take a look at the repairs? Yes. Now that gets a little tricky because we're going to come in and we're going to say, yep, the repairs have been done <laughs> because in the report, it will be specific that the repairs should have been done by a professional. And if they weren't done to satisfaction um, by that licensed professional, then it's on the professional. Um, unfortunately, that's the liability world that we live in. Mm-hmm. And I don't like it any more than anybody else. And um, but I've found out the hard way that technicalities are technicalities. And there's, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> it is the way the world works. It is now. the way the world works. That's the world we live in. And it doesn't pay to, um, you know, argue about it. <laughs> so, so yes, um, they, they'll call me back. Um, I have, I've had some situations where, um, the the problem clearly wasn't corrected and I've had to document, you know, the problem doesn't appear to be corrected based on this evidence, based on this visible evidence. Um, I've actually had a, had a situation where the contractor was called in three different times for the same thing. Oh, wow. wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it wasn't an easy place to be in, but that's what I'm hired to do. I'm hired to stay objective and professional and and um in the end they had a, a different contractor come in and and do do it the correct way and um and all parties were happy in the end and that's what the goal is yeah is everybody's happy is. Yeah. in the end mm-hmm. so you said the inspection is a visual inspection um there are some instances where you take samples like radon mm-hmm. and you talk about radon for a little bit sure um so radon is a a radioactive gas that comes from really the the decomposing of the soil, the decomposing process of the soil. Um, it's found most prevalent prevalent in granite type soils, and with that statistic, a lot of people will think that well, I have sandy soil, so therefore I I probably won't have radon, and that. Um, it certainly lessens your chances, but um, I've certainly found elevated levels of radon um, in in all kinds of soil, whether it's sand or clay or granite. Um, and so, the um, do you have more specific questions about that? Do you want to know more about what radon is? What the what the well, what is the EPA standard of radon? <clears throat> So the EPA, Environmental Protection Agency, has uh, a standard level, uh, acceptable level of radon, which is 4.0. That's picocuri liters. And that basically 
how do I explain this? Is it's essentially it's the rate of entry into your home. Okay. It's 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 the rate that the radon gas will enter your home essentially. So, um, but radon also has a half life. So, let's get into this a little bit. Um, the testing protocols to um, test for radon would be to test in a clo- in a closed environment. Um, so the windows and doors should stay closed. Um, if the home is occupied, the, the, the occupant is, you know, allowed to come and go as normal. They can come in and out the door like they normally would, but you wouldn't want to leave the door open. Um, and the reason for that is you want to maintain as much of a consistent pressure in the home as possible. A lot of people don't realize that a home is actually pressurized. It can have a negative pressure, or positive pressure. Either way, there's pressure involved. And that and altering that pressure can significantly alter the level of radon. Um, it can cause it to spike. It can cause it to drop. Um, one of the biggest mistakes sellers will make is they will try to open up the windows during the test. And they'll be thinking that they're trying, they're actually going to be lowering their levels. And what I find. They go up. Is that they actually go up because what happens is a consistent level of pressure has been maintained and then they open the windows and doors and they release all this pressure, which allows the radon to come in faster, which increases your levels. Kind of like a a bellows, you know, the Mm -hmm. suck and squeeze sort of Mm -hmm. deal. Yeah. 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 I I had one situation where, um, I downloaded the results and I could clearly see at seven o'clock there was a significant change in the, in the levels. And I had asked the seller about it cause he happened to be there and he, he finally gave in and he's like, you know what? My, my wife just could not take it anymore. She needed some fresh air and it clearly put the levels over the 4.0. Oh. And I said, I'm really sorry, sir, but a walk a simple walk outside would have saved you about a thousand dollars for a, for a, mm-hmm. an install. Um, it, you know, it, it probably would have been high anyway, as far as um, above that 4.0, but you could, you could clearly see the spike. So can you test for a radon in a house that has no basement? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's not just a basement thing. Right. So it's not just a basement it's thing. It's not just a basement thing. I've actually believe this or not, have found elevated levels of radon in a mobile home. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. Um, I've certainly found, um, so we'll go back to the the safe level. The EPA determines that um, if it's below 4.0 is safe. I've tested slab homes that have had um, average levels over 50. Wow. Yeah, we, we we had a, a slab, um, relatively new construction also, and it was a little bit elevated, but not that high. My yeah. goodness. Yeah, and that yeah. one was, it was unique trying to find a radon mitigation specialist that could mitigate a slab home. It's very difficult. It was, we got it done. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of phone calls mm-hmm. and a lot of people coming over to take a look at the house because of how a slab home is built. You need, there's a bunch of questions of mm-hmm. how everything is secured or sealed up underneath the concrete. Mm-hmm. So if it's not sealed underneath the concrete correctly, right. you got to bust up all this concrete to seal everything correctly. So that way you can get rid of all this radon. Yeah. So under normal circumstances with a basement or a crawl space or something like that, it's very simple to, to mitigate and have really good results as far as getting those levels to the safe levels. Um, it gets extremely tricky with a slab, mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. Um, but as far as radon goes, I do have to tell a story because I was about three years into the industry and um, I thought, you know, I have all these monitors and I, I probably should just check my own basement because <laughs> I'm driving all over central Wisconsin, checking everybody else's. And so I, I set my monitor down there and 
kind of forgot about it and went back a couple of days later and checked. And I looked at the numbers on there and I thought that just can't possibly be right. I must have one of the settings wrong. And I cleared it all out and started the test over and I went back down there and, and they were even higher yet. And I had average levels of 138 oh, with, wow. with spikes of, you know, up to 178. I think one was even 183 or something like that. Yeah. And so, um, I do want to tell people like even at that elevated level and they can get into the hundreds I've, I've tested as high as like 273. Um, but they can, you know, four five, six and, and on rare, um, occasions nationally, I think they've found levels in the thousands. Um, but even at 130, um, I installed the system. I, I don't do it professionally anymore. I was trained to do that. So I did install the system myself. Um, I waited 48 hours for the system to, you know, do its thing. And um, I retested and found levels that were equivalent to what you find in the outside air. So um, they absolutely do work. The mm -hmm. radon levels for sure were dropped. And, um, and I do test periodically. I was going to say, do you, do you test? Just, you know, yeah, get yeah. a new, new unit in. And yeah. how long do those units last? I mean, is there like a shelf life for them? So the continuous radon monitors that we use where we can set those up and then um, the minimum test time is 48 hours. The ones, those units that we have, um, some of my testing equipment is um, over 10 years old, but you have to have them calibrated annually. So annually, each monitor gets sent into the company, into a laboratory, and they calibrate it and make sure everything is, you know, where it needs to be and send it back to me. and. I put it out in the field for another year of service. Excellent. So, and the concern with radon is like lung issues um, usually? Yeah. So it's, it's the second leading cause of, of lung cancer. Um, and I do always explain to people also, it's, um, it's, a it's different from asbestos, you know, asbestos or something like that. You breathe in and you, that's, I mean, you breathe it in and those, those particles are, are in there. Mm-hmm. Um, radon is different from that where it's more of a long-term exposure. Um, and I don't, I don't know the science behind, um, the actual effects of the lungs, but I know that it's, um, if, if you are a smoker, then you do, um, you are at a higher risk of, of the effects of the radon gas. Mm -hmm. And, and a lot of times our buyers would kind of ask for our suggestions, um, getting a home inspection in the first place, we always recommend a home inspection and we certainly recommend radon if there's living space in the basement. Mm -hmm. Um, and also we recommend uh, radon to go along with that inspection anyways, but certainly when there's living space in the basement, because people are spending, you know, time in that more enclosed space where it, it yeah. seems to dwell more. But like yeah. you said, you can get the, the radon even up into the the main levels of the house. And yeah. And so <laughs> if you're trailer. testing, yeah, if you're testing on the lower, like in, in the lower level basement, um, for example, if you had uh, an average level of say 15, um, in the upper level, it probably would be about seven. It probably would be about half of that. Now, if you're at 50, that doesn't mean you're going to be at 25. You'd probably be at, you know, 30 or 40 or something like that. But it's not always half, but um, in, in generally, when we find high levels, it's between, you know, four and 10 mm -hmm. in, in this area. If you get north of here, then you're going to, you know, you're going to find your higher levels in, in different counties. It kind of ranges from county to county. Sure. But you can have one person have it and the very next next door neighbor doesn't have it. Um, it Which really, is kind of, you know, odd and unusual. Yeah. But it 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 just the construction of the home. It could be the, the strain of soil. Um, you know, the, the, the granite, it could be, you know, this type of soil went underneath that house and this type of soil didn't. Well, we see with underground aquifers too. Mm -hmm. So, you know, conventional septic on one side and, um, mound yeah. system on the it, next door neighbor. It's Crazy. really no different than that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Speaking of that, now, do you inspect septics and, um, those other like wells and water and stuff like that, or just the house. I, yeah, I don't, I just do the house. Um, I, 
think there might be a few licensed home inspectors that do do the well and septic. Um, U.S. Water is like the one-stop shopping because they'll come yeah. and they'll do the home inspection right on and well water and septic. Sure. But I can't remember if it's the same person doing all three or if they just bring in another person because they're such a large company Correct. that they just have their yeah. own little individual. Sometimes you'll have a home inspector do the well water and septic, but they're having a licensed plumber. And, to read it. Right. To my knowledge, you have to be a, a master plumber to sign off on that, mm-hmm. um, to actually provide the report. So we could maybe go there and check the septic tanks or things like that and make sure the chains are on there and, and whatever else is involved in that, you know, as far as the cap on the well and things like that and, and get grab a water sample. Um, but to actually provide the report, it's my understanding that you have to be a, a licensed plumber. I, be- I believe so. So we'll stick with you just for the home and maybe the radon. Sure. Cool. Carrie, do you have anything else? Well, I want to circle back to one of the fun things that Kyle had said earlier in the show here. You were talking about your little wand that you use that you like scan walls to find the moisture. Sure. Let's talk about your moisture meter because that is such a fun little gadget to play with. (laughs) It kind of is. Yeah. So um, with uh, a moisture meter, there's there's two different types of readings. There's the, the... the direct contact, which will have the metal probes. Now we don't typically, that's not usually our first plan of action. We'll usually right. use the scan method. Um, but with the scan method, you can get false positives. So mm-hmm. uh, we could be scanning drywall and maybe it would show elevated levels or it really, when you're in the scan mode, it's, it's going to scan for resistance. And so you can get dry, porous drywall that is not going to have a whole lot of resistance, but if it's wet, then um, it's going to show a higher level of resistance. But we also don't know if there's a, maybe a piece of metal behind the drywall, which is also going to provide a higher level of resistance and then give you a false positive and say, Oh, it's wet. Well, it might not be wet. It might just be something behind the surface that we're not aware of. Um, so in which case then, then you sometimes will do the probe method. Now, we prefer not to do the probe method because it does um, leave a little pinhole. It leaves a little bitty pinholes and it's not our property. Mm-hmm. Now, after 25 years of <laughs> home inspecting and construction and renovating and fixing homes, um, I have a really good idea of what's an issue and what's not an issue. So I can, I just have a general consensus. Um, so it, it's, I won't say make assumptions. I'll say make educated, um, inferences. Yeah, there you go. Uh Thank you, Ben. (laughs) Um, and if I know the drywall is already damaged from moisture, it's, you know, a couple of pinholes isn't going to change anything. So, um, it is my call on whether I want to, you know, what type of test, you know, I want to do, but Obviously, I want to provide my buyer with as much information as I can. So um, when I find a water stain, I'll always take a picture of the water stain. I'll always take a picture of the moisture meter and the levels at the water stain. And I'll always provide an alternate picture of the moisture meter in an area that doesn't have the stain. Mm-hmm. So that they can see what the normal average resistance or moisture content is on that particular piece of material. Because wood is going to test differently than drywall, which is going to test differently than whatever surface you're scanning. Could be vinyl flooring. Um, they're all going to have different resistance levels and stuff. So I'm sure lath and plaster is a whole other animal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So... You reminded me of something that we should probably talk about. So you had Let's said metal behind a wall. Okay. So firewalls. Like, now, a, like in a garage. Like in a garage. Yeah. So, you know, in our, in our homes, we have the garage. So when a garage is attached to the home, we always like to see a firewall. Yeah. So can you explain what a firewall should properly look like? And if they put metal on the backside of said firewall? Is the metal considered the firewall or the structure in front of it considered the firewall? 
I know a lot of questions in that. So let's just break it down one step at a time here. So can you explain what a firewall is? So the firewall is a barrier between the garage and the home. And the purpose of it is because insurance companies have determined that a significant percentage of fires get started in the garage Mm -hmm. and they don't want that to transfer to the home. And there's certain particular materials that we're looking for to be considered a firewall. So we just can't throw up a whole bunch of OSB and call it good. Correct. So um, the most common firewall is going to be drywall. Um, It's going to be usually labeled type X and it'll say fire code or type X. Um, It could also just simply be regular drywall that's five eighths inch thick instead of half inch. Does it have to be mud and taped? So that is going to vary per municipality, okay. per, per city. Because I know that these are things that, that come up. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm asking questions because these are things that come up because it's, you know, just because it's there, but if it's not mudded and taped, right. the fire can still go through those little crevices Correct. and still damage the house. Right. Now, in the city of Marshfield, I believe it's, uh, they don't want to see a crack big enough for a dime to get in there. Okay. So they don't necessarily need it to be taped or mudded. But they don't, the crack can't be any bigger than what, you know, you can't get a dime in that crack. Okay. Um, and then other, mm, other cities are going to be different. Some require the taping, some, some don't. Um, we simply suggest that you have an adequate fire barrier. And if there's gaps and cracks, I'm going to point that out and I'm going to label it as a safety concern. Okay. Because we had a house that we found, the garage had like OSB paneling on the, the home side. And we're like, that's, that's not cool, you know, because that's flammable. Mm-hmm. And the owner was like, well, okay, but we put in um, sheet metal behind that, between that OSB and the, uh, the stud work. Mm. We're like, oh, well, that kind of counts. And so we had to get someone to come in. I think we actually had in. two then. Because mm-hmm. we had one house where they had the metal. So they built a family room. They took a third stall out of their garage. And so a garage stall, they turned that into a family room. So they built the wall. They slapped up a bunch of metal between the garage and the new family room because there was a wood stove on the backside. Okay. So they had metal around and then they had... I believe the OSB on one wall and then regular drywall or the drywall on the other wall. And so when you screwed in, you could only go in a half inch. Because of the metal? Because of the metal. And there was always that big question of, is that then a true firewall? Because you could test everywhere. You could only go in a half inch because there was a chunk of metal Mm -hmm. separating the garage from the family room. So in your experience, we're not trying to put you on the spot here. <laughs> yeah. Is that considered, is metal considered a firewall? I don't have an answer for you on that. Okay. For, so far, further, nobody, nobody has been able to answer that question. Further consultation would be required. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now I want to get an answer. Right. So I then, think what we ended up doing was just adding more drywall to it. Sure. And just, yeah, we had to use because short the, screws. the half inch they were saying wasn't. The half inch was. OSB. Was it OSB? Oh, got it. Okay, yeah. But then right next, right behind the OSB was this large chunk yeah. of metal. Was Did they use like uh, like sheet steel for like a pole barn? We don't or know what they I, used. I think so. Is that what it was? Yeah, that, that would be pretty much the only thing you could get in large sheets like that. Right, you couldn't drive through it. I mean, you could not take a screw and screw right through this. There was a sheet of metal wow. behind <laughs> Pretty neat. that blocked off the family room. Yeah. It, I'm sure you find a lot of creative situations in these houses too. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, I wish I could think of something right off the top of we'll my head. We'll save it but, for another yeah. time. Yes. All right. That sounds good. I will. I'm going to start taking notes. I'm going to put a, I'm going to put a whole podcast note category for everything I come across because I want to talk about it next time. You bet. We're going to have you back. Oh, I would so. love to. I would love to be back. So before we go, we always ask everyone, what are you looking forward to in those last half of the year? I absolutely love fall. I love autumn. 
I absolutely love autumn and I absolutely love winter. So this is like coming up. This is like, this is my, this is your prime time. This is my prime time. Yeah. (laughs) There's nothing like the, the smell of the autumn leaves and the, the, the beauty of the trees turning colors and there's nothing like uh, a gentle snowfall on a Christmas Eve and a nice warm fire and family. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love it. So I'm so looking forward to it. Are the dogs looking forward to it? Because I believe you have one I do have golden one. retriever. I have one golden retriever. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, he loves he loves walks and he loves uh because we haven't seen too many pictures of the of the puppy on Facebook. <laughs> He's been absent the, for a little bit. The, so the puppy did have to find a different home due to my uh Aww. living situation. Um so, but he's in a great home and they love him to death. Okay. Yeah. Okay. They, they love him to death. So, but me and Cam, uh, we're forever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I'll post more pics. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. All right, Kyle. Well, thanks for coming on the show and right, we'll be sure you. to talk to you again next time. Thank you, Ben and Carrie. It's oh, a pleasure being here. Yeah. certainly was fun having Kyle on the show. We are going to have to have him back. We definitely are. It is always great to talk with Kyle. He's one of my go-to home inspectors. I really do enjoy having him um, inspect the homes. He is great with buyers and their questions. So it's always really awesome to have him. And I'm glad that he's back in the game and he's doing home inspections again. And we really do have a lot of good home inspectors in the area too. Like you said, we've got um, three or four that we really, really have enjoyed working with. Um, you know, hand hand the list of five or six to the the customer and see what our buyer who our want, buyer wants to go through. But Kyle's definitely at the top of the list, right? And we do interview the home inspectors yet to on top of it. So we've already if there's someone new that's working with a new agent here in in our office. We like to interview those home inspectors, you know, we'll take them out for lunch. We'll get to know them, kind of get to know their personality just to kind of see how they're going to work with our buyers because, and our sellers too, because we want to make sure that we find that we suggest good home inspectors that are going to fit with our families. Right. And some of our buyer clients and customers are, um, very to the point they might have you know a, a background that would uh, allow an inspector to just be bare, very matter-of-factly and you know this is a b c d what's going on and they're like yep we understand cool conversely there are other buyers who definitely need more of an education component mm-hmm. um, and personalities like you say some people aren't going to take that education component well from certain personalities versus others. Mm-hmm. Language, you know. Right. So we have a nice variety of home inspectors. Again, you know, we always leave that up to the buyer. Mm-hmm. We will tell you our thoughts of each one of those home inspectors that are on our list. But in the end, it's going to be you who is going to be deciding who you're going to use. And if there's a name on that list that you would want to use and they're not on the list, by all means, you can give that person a call too as well, because you're the one who's going to be doing that. We just like to set up those showings or that inspection, because if your offer does not have a rate on and that home inspector asked about it and you're like, oh yeah, go ahead and do it. Well, if we didn't ask for that test to be done and it gets done, we don't want to get anybody into trouble. So that's where we like to have that conversation with that home inspector so that way they understand the scope of what they're going to be inspecting. And making sure it gets um, inspected in the right amount of time to allow us to get further inspections completed perhaps or to, you know, get that review done and then have enough time to think about how do we want to respond, what's Mm -hmm. important, do we have to get the lender involved as well? So there's a lot of other timing issues and logistics there too. Right. So when we look at that home inspection contingency, we usually put in typically 21 days. So on that 21 day time span, we're looking at, we need to get it scheduled, done. You and I would need to meet, the buyer and I need to meet to go over that home inspection, to ask questions of, okay, what was your concern as far as repairs go? 
you know, how do you feel about this home inspection? What do we need to be asking the seller for? And then have the seller agree to everything within that 21 day span. So Mm -hmm. there's a lot that needs to get done in that 21 days. We just cannot do a home inspection on day 20 and think we're going to be okay on day 21. And especially if radon sampling is requested, Mm -hmm. um, because that takes a few days. Understanding, is the inspector going to drop that off ahead of time? Or is he going to pick it up three days after he does the inspection? So now if it's on day 20 and he's got the radon there for three days, now you're into day 23, 24 before you can get the results back. Right. So, you know, those timing is very crucial. And we know the home inspectors. We, like I said, with Kyle, there are times that, yes, I ask him if he could do something on a Sunday afternoon for me and I sweeten the deal with some cookies. I don't say it's a bribe, but it's a bonus. He does something. So, I mean, we know them. We can kind of talk with them to see how their schedule is to see if we can kind of squeeze things in there if possible. Just like, you know, any other contractor that, you know, we would ask like, you know, photographer or whatnot, you know, if the photographer understands that he's got a 600 square foot house with no basement and we just need our, our also like 1100 square foot house with no basement photograph the same day. And he's like, well, I usually schedule these, you know, farther apart, but I suppose right. you know, it, I can make it work in the schedule. Right. Sometimes we get a little bit of cancellations in there too. So, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't hurt for, for us to kind of ask if they could, you know, get us, squeeze us in. Lots of moving parts. Oh yeah, definitely. So about moving parts, uh, what's been going on with the homestead? We've got the garden. We got the garden. So kind of weird. It's been like a weird growing season. Yes. I think we have been a month behind on just about everything. But then we planted 12 tomato plants at the same exact time. And for some reason, the front six are ready dead. So they were starting to get, you know, yellow and brown. And so I pulled them today. So... Had to pull only half of them because the other half is still growing and doing just fine. So it's kind of, the crickets are back. So It's not that your comments are, you know, unamusing or anything. It's just, we happen to have crickets. Right. And I'm waiting for the fox to also show up too and sit in the chair and try to say a few things. But, um, but yeah, back to the tomato plants. So I had to pull only half the tomato plants because they were not doing so well. So we have to make chili starter this weekend, maybe. But then the tomato plants that were not, or the tomatoes that were not red yet, what I did is I still picked them. So I stripped stripped the vines and have a table full of green tomatoes. So every day I'm going to go out there and take a picture and going to show you how it's going to ripen up. So if you do have that garden and you do have a whole bunch of green tomatoes, you can still pick them. You can still use them. They will ripen up sitting on your counter. Um, I think a key to that is as long as the majority of the other tomatoes are at least mostly ripe, then it you know you can work the green tomatoes into it. If you pick green tomatoes like in June, then they're not going to work to ripen, are they? I understand it's an exaggeration, but... You have to they have, should ripen they, like within four days. I mean, they're, they they got to be pretty close to being finished. Yeah. You just pulled them a little bit early. Yep. Yeah, yeah, because it was it was time. So we've got them in our screened-in porch, yes. which is almost like a um, greenhouse because mm-hmm. we got the the plastic panels on the one side and the sun beats in and all that jazz. Mm-hmm. Is that going to help them being in that more warm environment? I have no clue. We'll find out. I usually just put them on my kitchen counter, but seeing how I have a a whole bunch. There's a lot. Let's just say there is a lot of green tomatoes that are sitting on this table. And we got the first day one is already on Facebook. So definitely go take a look at that of what day one looks like, because you'll see that there is no space on this normal table that sits for people. You cannot do anything at this table except for watch the tomatoes ripen. Well, it's a six foot round table, so... Mm-hmm. There's quite a lot of surface area on it. Right. So Oop. we're going to, I'm going to see, but it usually takes about three to four days of it sitting out, out on the counter. 
So we'll see how many days it really takes sitting in the sun. So the garden is producing otherwise. We, we've got a lot of beans. We, we've been pulling beans mm-hmm. regularly from it. Yep. So I think this, whatever magical bean that I have chosen. The foot-long ones? I think they're snake beans. String beans, maybe? No, they're not string beans. I don't think so. I don't know. We don't know what it is because we didn't label anything. They look like green beans, but they're like 12 inches long. Right. It's crazy. But they're good. I think they're better Mm -hmm. than the regular green beans I normally get. So I think we're going to switch it over. So for these need to be trellised. So may have to look into how to trellis for next year. What else do we have in the garden? Um, so with what we do is do our chili starter, we're going to be doing, we're going to be putting some okra in our chili starter. It's in sort of in our salsa that we just got done making last weekend, Okay. but we've got some okra that we need to pick. So we're going to pick that and put it in our chili this year. Well, okra is definitely a Southern sort of thing. So, you know, Southern chili. Makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense. Yep. I'm channeling my Southern heritage. I really don't know if I have it, but I'm claiming it today. Sounds so, good. Y'all go, you're going to start telling people y'all and howdy and I already do the y'all pretty good. So. Yump too. Something. So, yeah, we're going to have that. We got the peppers. The peppers are doing just great. So we're going to be doing some peppers along. Because again, you know, we do the the salsa. And then we also make the the chili starter. So we always do the peppers and they're just bell peppers. So they're not like hot peppers or anything like that, but we've got the peppers. So we're going to have a nice, good basis for, for a chili starter, which is going to be really great. And then I'm just waiting for the carrots to finish carroting. And the corn as well. And the corn. The corn is going to come down this weekend. I think so. Yeah. I'm seeing a, a lot of people online doing a, a corn harvest. Well, I drove to Madison this past week and on the way there and on the way back and the way there again, um, saw a lot of corn trucks. Right. A lot of semi-trucks with corn. So I think it's about time to to harvest the corn. I agree. Uh, not quite time for the um, farmers who are doing silage or like ethanol style corn where right. it has to dry down a little bit, but the good eaten sweet corn stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so we're going to do that. And then when we take out the corn stalks, uh, we're going to be saving them so that yes. way we can decorate for the fall time here at the house. I think it'd be look really, I think our corn, we may have to cut down the stalks mm-hmm. to fit around our our little lantern. And that is just fine. So. Now we had some, something else. We had the storms come through a, a day or two ago and. Oh, yeah. Um, we found out how toothpicks are made. What happened? Oh, it was super exciting. Unfortunately, we were not home. So that big storm that came through on Tuesday, was it Tuesday? Yeah. 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 So Tuesday, yeah, um, we were both gone. We were doing out doing stuff and those big storms came through and came home and did our usual walk around the house just to see what happened. And everything looked fairly normal and didn't think anything of it. And. And all of a sudden, while I'm eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, I noticed that there was like some weird different colors in the forest. So I went outside and here one of our trees got hit by lightning. Yep. we uh, Our property backs up and the property line previous owner had left and or planted large pine and spruce and, mm-hmm. you know, different varieties. And they are 60 foot tall. Right. Some are more spindly than others, but yes. yeah, very, very good for attracting those types of things. Um, yeah, lightning just cracked right into it. So we had a cut above come over and take a look just to make sure and evaluate. It didn't need to come down right away because it's still standing. It's still standing. Um, at a previous property, I had a tree get struck by lightning. It took about two years for it to officially die. But then it had to come down because mm-hmm. it was dead. It's easier to control it when it's coming down, when it's not in the middle of a storm. Right. So knowing that it needs to come down now because it did get struck by lightning. But it was kind of kind of really neat to see how it split and how it splintered. I mean, the splinters were pretty far into the actual yard. Yeah, they were a good 30 feet away. It just 
it must have hit, you know, about two thirds of the way up and just traveled down that one side and just blew everything out. Just, you know, like taking a, a, a knife and a blowtorch and poof, right into the yard. I know. And the weird thing is, I really thought it was just a branch that just sheared off. <laughs> right. That was my first thought. And then as I started looking at it a little bit more before I got carried off with the mosquitoes, I'm like, lightning struck this tree. This tree is like cracked in half. This is a concern. And of course, my amateur radio friends were glad that it didn't hit the tower and, you know, travel to my amateur radio equipment. So we're good. We can leave it to the trees. Okay. Sounds good. But that's going to be the start of our tree care adventure. So we're going to have to have those guys come out anyway. We were planning on to kind of survey the rest of the property and get a tree management uh, plan together. Yeah, because as we were looking through that that line of trees, there are some very, like you said, some very small trees mm-hmm. that maybe are at most 10 feet tall. I mean, they just, they were overgrown. So they didn't, they didn't grow the same rate as all the other ones. So we're going to have to thin those out. That was our original plan, but now it's going to be accelerated, I think, a little bit. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. So we'll have a lot of that to talk about as we go through it and kind of get some ideas on how to manage our little stand of forest here in our one acre plot. Mm-hmm. Nice. What else is going on? We did remove some paneling from the house. Oh, yep. Interior projects. Yeah. So it was 881 degrees outside. No, that was just on Facebook. Okay. So it was too hot to play outside. And then you went into the living room because our living room had, and it's kind of fun to do like a little architectural dig and see just, you know, what's behind the walls. Cause then they put paneling up on top of that. And then they painted the paneling and they painted the paneling again. Mm-hmm. So you can kind of see those progressions. Yeah. It was kind of exciting to pull down the paneling and, and the fortunate part is it was only held on by like four nails. So I mean, it was barely on the wall. And popped out right on off like it was nothing and took her right on down. I I definitely think they had planned on it just being that cosmetic deal, Mm -hmm. you know. And then in in the basement, we do have paneling as well, but I think that's on a little bit more substantially. I hope so. (laughs) If not, it'll pop right off just like it did before. But Mm -hmm. now, I mean, we, so now what we need to do is uh, skim coat. With some drywall mud. So we got to do some skim coating and a little bit of sanding. Because there, there, there was glue and it did take some of the paper off and there's plenty of holes and nail holes. and Right. So it's just going to be easier to just do a little bit of skim coating and get a nice fresh coat of paint on there and really repaint that room to brighten it up. So that way it's not so, so dark. So it'll be nice to kind of make that, that space our own. And then we also then get to rip up that carpet. And get the carpet out and re-expose that, those hardwood floors. The final bit of carpeting in the upstairs. And that's what I'm really looking forward to, is sure. removing that carpet. We, well, it'll definitely be a surprise to see the condition of the living room hardwood floors. I'm more curious about what the middle of the room looks like, because on the edges, right. from what I can tell, it looks, it's in great condition. Right. Well, that's where all the furniture was, though. Right. So the, so, the walking path. Might not be quite as good, but then we get to refinish the wood floors and that'll right. be a whole bunch of content. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to finally removing that carpeting so that way we can expose those hardwood floors. I've always been a fan of hardwoods. Me as well. So that'll be fun. And then we get to figure out how to do quarter round trim because once again, we have none. Either that, we're just going to accept the fact that we are going to be living in in homes with no quarter round trim. Well, so you can go over to the home center and actually purchase pre-finished quarter round trim. You just cut it and put it up. I don't know. Lived in a house for almost 11 years without quarter round trim and it worked. And we sold it. And we sold it without quarter round trim. And the new owners didn't really care. No. No, that's just the cosmetic piece. Fantastic. All right. So what do we got for our stage styled and blogged? Right. The National okay, I know that I messed that up completely, but I got most of the words correct. The National Association of Realtors puts out a styled, staged, and sold blog every what? week. I miss mm-hmm. a word. 
So this week is concrete furnishings that add a modern touch to the outdoors. Ooh. This one is by the um, in-house blogger at NAR, Melissa Dittman Tracy. Excellent. Right? So let's go through real quick. We've got concrete fire pits. So remember, things made of concrete to accentuate the outdoor spaces. We love our outdoor spaces, you and I. Oh, yes. Yep. We're finally getting our backyard into what we like to call our backyard oasis. And we're doing pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. We went with a lot of wood instead of concrete. But concrete, especially in large spaces, can really be um, a, a monumental aesthetic. You know, it'll help anchor a lot of those spaces, mm-hmm. just like oversized furniture might do in a large living room. Well, look at where we have our fire pit that was a large piece of concrete that was out kind of in the middle of the yard. Mm-hmm. You know, we're using that space as a base for the fire pit area. So you can actually get concrete furniture. It's highly recommended that you also get cushions. For I was going to say, mm-hmm. that it doesn't look very comfortable. They're really cool styles. But I don't think I would want to sit on that for a long period of time. I can definitely see some of these in a very modern uh, styled home. I can see some of that if it was like end tables. Right. To put drinks on, that sort of thing. And that's another part is to have concrete accents. So small statues or large statues. um, Some of those could double as end tables, drink holders, whatnot. Mm Mm-hmm. Benches, so not like totally monolithic sitting pieces, but actual like like benches. And you can do them thinner and lighter than you might see in a park, or you can do like full-on park bench mm-hmm. if you want. Um, and it also rolls into an entire outdoor living space. So instead of brick pavers, maybe do concrete patio. Do and get sta- it stamped. Stamped, right? Colored. Stamped and stained and all of that jazz. And then the different type of fireplaces. If you wanted a gas fire outside, well, this is a perfect time to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about outdoor kitchens recently. So instead of doing that with block, you could pour sections of concrete to make your outdoor kitchen. And we've actually seen some homes where they hardwired or hard gassed their grills mm-hmm. to the natural gas line. So that way they never had to worry about running out of gas. Right. It's literally taking your kitchen and moving it outdoors. Yeah, it was it was a really great setup that that family had. One of the other kind of concrete styles, you know, I'm a Frank Lloyd Wright architectural fan. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that oriental inspired garden aesthetic, uh, concrete pavers or purposefully broken up concrete walkways where you've got... Um, the lines of grass in between these monolithic concrete pavers. Mm -hmm. I I find that really, really fun, especially since if you can get grass to grow well in between those without getting brown and, you know, a lot of weeds coming through that, I think it looks really, really clean. Yes. So consider a lot of those little details. A lot of these things you can purchase, you know, even at the, the Home Depot, the Menards, any of those home centers catalogs are just phenomenal with them now but um there's a lot of DIY DIY out there do it as yourself as far as you know what we can look at a picture and go we can do this at home we can do this ourselves right just yeah. need to understand a little bit of the concept behind it and if you make it work you make it work and there there's i mean quick crete you know the the kind of pre-bagged concrete mixes you can do a lot with that. You have to understand that the size of aggregate, the stones that are in the concrete, is really going to determine the size of uh, concrete furniture or whatever that you're designing. So mm-hmm. keeping that in mind is important. And we do here in central Wisconsin, I mean, you can go up to Wassa, Schofield area, you know, and they've got a concrete place up there. I forget the name of the place. Okay, the only concrete place I know of is County County. County Concrete. Nope. They're, these guys are the ones that do all of the, or most of like the park benches and stuff. Yeah. Okay. You're on I, your I own. Know. I know. It's on Business 51. It's in Schofield. 
kind of on your way to the Harley dealership, but keep going into Schofield and Rothschild. It's Rothschild. Keep going into Rothschild specifically. And that one place off to the left. It's off to the right. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. There you go. You're thinking about it. No, because I'm trying to think of what's to the left, because usually to the There'd left was residential. Mm-hmm. There's be... a railroad track, and pa- then there's a mill. mill. Paper mill. Yeah. That's all is there to the, to the left. To the right is all the businesses. So anyways, there's this place up in up Rothschild. north. Rothschild. Up in Rothschild. Yeah. Just go check it out. <laughs> but, you know, I don't know if they sell direct, but there's certainly dealers that you can get all this stuff through. So when you think of the name at two o'clock in the morning, uh-huh. just put it out on social media that this is the place to go to. Right. So y'all check out our social media. You know, we're on Facebook and Instagram for all those fun little tidbits and updates. You can also check us out on the internet over at myrapids.com if you're looking for listings in the area. Mm-hmm. If you want to send us an email, shoot it over to myrapidsradio at gmail.com. And Carrie, I think you have a phone number. I do. And you can either call or text me at 715-323-2577. And if you have any questions about you know, what we talked about today with Kyle and you want to have a conversation with him, you know, feel free to give me a call. I can hook you up with Kyle and that way you can kind of talk with him a little bit more. Um, He had mentioned earlier that he did not have a website yet. Right. He's really scaled down. Yep. He's scaled Mm -hmm. down. So really it kind of is more of word of mouth. So if you really are looking for a home inspector, inspector and you do want to interview Kyle just a little bit more, to find out whether or not he's going to be your guy, um, feel free to give us a call, send us a text message. We can get you hooked up with with Kyle. So again, that was Royal T. So Royal with a capital T. And it's kind of cute the way that he has his logo. It almost looks like a house. Yeah. The way that it's formed. So Royalty Home Inspections is who we had on today. So again, it was great having Kyle on. Oh, and I thought of it. Okay. Was a tile. Oh, yeah. Wasa, T-I-L-E, tile. Wasa, yeah, tile. It's on the right-hand side. Exactly. See, now we remember it. Not the left. Okay, so I won't have to post that on social media then. No. So, yeah, if you have any tile questions, Wasa, tile. <laughs> they do a lot of concrete stuff. Anyway. But they have a very beautiful showroom because I was in that showroom. Oh, you were? Yes. Okay. I was in the showroom. So, if I remember right, there's like a dolphin outside. Yeah, outside. Yeah, there's a dolphin. So, look for the dolphin. You're at the right spot, but they have a beautiful showroom. Well, that's all I have for today. All right. I think we're done waffling for the, for the evening. And that's what we do. Thank you so much for, you know, putting up with us and listening to us waffle throughout all of our fun stuff. So you all have a great sensual Wisconsin day and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.